0: Well, friends, Next Step Church, it is so wonderful to be with you today. Um, and and it's, it's a huge honor for me to be with you today for, for a bunch of reasons. Um, but here's, here's one, of the, one of the things was what Pastor Edwin was just saying. You guys are, and I'm going to round up, 200 years old yeah. as a congregation. That is mind-blowing yeah. to me. But at the same time, you're on the one end, you're like 200 years old, but you don't look it. (laughs) You don't look it. In fact, there's this amazing freshness and youth and vitality that comes out of you. And I've just been soaking it up all morning long, and I'm so grateful for it. You guys have like the, the freshness of new and young and what God is doing now combined with 200 years of God's faithfulness. And one of the things that that means is it's a proof that the faithfulness of God never skips a generation. And he's not skipping you right now. And some of you might need to know that. So I am so grateful. I am also grateful to be here because of your pastor. So, I I don't know. I think we've known each other uh, three or four years, something like that. I'm not sure what the math is, but... Um, one of the, I met Pastor Cologne at a, at a pastor's meeting. And, you know, pastors get together for lunch every now and then. We eat, like, pizza and talk and stuff like that. And, and one of the guys that was sitting next to me elbowed me. And he said, hey, Jim. And I said, yeah, what? And he said, look over there. You see that guy over there? And he, pastored, and he was pointing to your pastor. And he, and he says, hey, that guy? That's Edwin Cologne, And he's a man of God. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm serious, like a real one. <laughs> and, 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 he, and he said, you need to go get to know him. And so I did, and he was right. Because here's the deal. There's been a bunch of times, a bunch of times. You know, you, you, there's been a bunch of times where I, I've been discouraged. And there's been a bunch of times, both in my personal life of trying to follow Jesus and as a pastor, where I've been uh, really down, or I've gotten overwhelmed, and there's been times where, where I start thinking, do you ever do this? You start thinking just, oh, what would it be like to give up? What would it be like to give up in this particular area of my life? And in a bunch of times, I've begun to think that way, and the Lord has brought Pastor Cologne into my life. Sometimes, uh, we've met for breakfast, for a big, giant Dominican breakfast, which is just amazing, and I can never finish it, or I just remember something that he said, and Pastor Edwin continually points me to Jesus, and that's a sign of a man of God, and so if, you're, if this is your first time here, I'm so sorry you have to listen to me, come back next week, because <laughs> you can hear Pastor Edwin, um, but right now what we're going to do is we're going to look at God's word. So can I ask everybody to stand? I love the fact that you stand for God's word. And I think maybe we're going to have Hebrews chapter 12. Oh, there it is. Oh, my goodness. And, and by the way, team, you guys, you guys are really good at all reading together. So can we do that together? Can we read God's word together? Yes. All right. Together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... of the throne of God. Amen. Let me, as you stand, let me pray. Father in heaven, we, I pray, Lord, I wanna recognize and honor the work of your Holy Spirit that's already happening right now. And Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit will right now target those parts of our lives that are kind of sort of imagining, thinking about giving up. Those part of our lives, those part of our imaginations, those part of our, of, of, of our experience where it's just getting hard and we, we're not sure that we're going to be able to continue going, Father, I pray that you would target that area and in the name of Jesus, clear away every obstacle and enable us to hear your word. And I pray that you would uh, tailor your word to our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, have a seat. Now... Um, I've got a feeling that I might not be the only one who has ever had moments where I'm a little bit discouraged. Have you ever had moments where you're a little bit discouraged? Yeah, I'm glad I'm not alone. And there are times when you're discouraged and when you start to imagine or think about maybe giving up. And if you're ever thinking that way, then this verse, these verses right here are for you. And maybe we could go back to the previous one. There we go. Do you see that word race at the end? Everybody say race. race. Here's what I want to show you. Next step church. Jesus has given us to race, a race to run. And it's not an easy race. It's a hard race. And you know all about this race because you've been running it faithfully for like 2, 200 years. The Lord has been g- doing, uh, leading his people for 2000 years. He's been doing it for 200 years. But Jesus has given us a race to run. It's not an easy race, but here's the thing. He, has, he hasn't asked us to run it alone. In fact, he's given us what I'm gonna call a family. Can you say family? But the, he, the writer of Hebrews calls it a cloud of witnesses. Can you say cloud of witnesses? Cloud of witnesses. And in order to grasp what the writer of Hebrews is telling us, I want you to use your imagination. And I want you to imagine, this is going to be fun. I want you to imagine that you're an amazing athlete. Just an amazing, I have to work really hard to imagine that for me, but... Um, just imagine you're an amazing athlete and you are running in a race and you're running in a race in a giant stadium. There's a stadium not far from here. Imagine you're running a race in a giant stadium and around you in the stands you see thousands, actually millions of people gathered around. And you look around you see people from every time period in history. And you see people from uh, ethnicities all over the world. You see every kind of person you can imagine. Even over there you see a few people uh, from uh, Next Step Church, from the past. And as you're running, you realize that they're cheering for you and they love you like family. And as you listen, you're able to hear what it is they're saying and what the message that comes to you from them is, we've been there. We know it's hard. We've run your race. Don't give up. It's worth it. We promise it's so worth it. Now, what I want to show you is the importance of God's family for running the race. God's family, this cloud of witnesses, is important for us Because God uses this family, this cloud of witnesses that have gone before, to strengthen us to run the race, difficult though it is. And more specifically, I want to show you three things. I want to show you how the family of Jesus, this cloud of witnesses, strengthens us with a faith that leads to repentance. Strengthens us with a hope that gives us endurance. And strengthens us in a love that fuels it all. Let me explain. First of all, God's family strengthens us with a faith that leads to repentance. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, you can't really understand Hebrews chapter 12 without dipping a little bit into Hebrews chapter 11. And here's why. The bit that comes just before Hebrews chapter 12 describes this cloud of witnesses. And Hebrews chapter 12 describes in particular some of the heroes of the family of God down through the ages. And one of the key heroes in the family of God down through the ages is somebody called Rahab. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, there we go. Verse 31 says this. Everybody together. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies." Now, I think that's a very strange verse. So, Hebrews holds up this woman Rahab and says something like this. It says, listen, if you want to know what real faith looks like, you need to look at this woman called Rahab. And I think that's a little strange. Why? Do you know the story of Rahab? Let me give you the short version. So hundreds of years before Jesus, Israel was enslaved in Egypt. And and they didn't really know much about God. They kind of had whispers and memories from a long time before. But then God decided to introduce himself to Israel. You know how he did that? He broke into their lives and liberated them. That's how God introduces himself. He broke into their lives and he liberated them and he led them out of enslavement in Egypt and he led them into the desert and he cared for them moment by moment and breath by breath for 40 years. But then the day came when God was going to give them a homeland. But in order for God to give them their own home, there were going to have to be some battles. And they were going to have to uh, go to battle against their enemies who were called the Canaanites. And in particular, they were going to have to battle against a city called Jericho. Well, Rahab was a prostitute who lived in Jericho. And what that meant was that Rahab was an enemy of the Israelites. In a sense, an enemy of the people of God. Now my question is, how in the world can Hebrews point to Rahab, a prostitute, an enemy of God, a non-Israelite, a Canaanite, and say, she's a hero of the faith? How does that work? Well, this is where God loves to defy our expectations. Because somehow Rahab, living in Jericho, had heard of Israel We don't know how, but somehow Rahab, living in Jericho, had heard of the God of Israel. And she had heard how the Lord had defeated the Egyptians. And she had heard how God had broken in and introduced himself to Israel by liberating them from their enslavement. And then she had heard something about how the Lord had cared for Israel moment by moment and breath by breath for all of 40 years in the desert. And I suspect that Rahab, as she heard about the Lord, she began to realize a few things. She began to realize that the Lord of Israel was better than any Canaanite idol she had ever worshipped. And as she thought about that, something began to happen within her heart. I bet you she couldn't have given it a name, but it was happening for real in her heart. She began to know, deep down, that the Lord of Israel was the God over all. And as that realization dawned on her, at some point, the deepest allegiance of her heart shifted. And all of a sudden, instead of trusting in her culture she surrendered her trust to the Lord. And instead of trusting in her city and its defenses and its big giant walls, she surrendered her trust to the Lord. And instead of even trusting in herself and what she could pull off because she was going to rely on herself and nobody else, all of a sudden she surrendered that and she she began to trust in the Lord of Israel instead. And when I say trust, I mean faith. She placed her faith in the Lord. And in that moment, as we sung earlier, she went from a grave to a garden. And everything changed for Rahab. And here's why. Because whenever you place your trust or your faith in the Lord, it changes the way you act. It changes the decisions that you make. In the words of Hebrews chapter 12... If you can go back to that, she began to set aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And what she decided to do is she decided to help the Israelites. She obeyed the Israelites' God, and God counted her amongst his own people for forever. And that's how Rahab became an example of real faith. And in the book of Joshua, where the story happens, and in the book of Hebrews, which is what we're reading, it's as if the Lord wants to say to Israel, and the Lord wants to say, say, next step church, this. It's as if the Lord wants to say, next step church. Do you want to know what real faith looks like? There's plenty of phony faith around, but do you want to know what the real thing looks like? Well, it's as if the Lord says, let me introduce you to a woman called Rahab. (laughs) Delight of my soul. I know she's not an Israelite. I know she speaks differently. I know she looks differently. I know all about her past and don't start lecturing me about it. I even know you count her your enemy. But it's as if the Lord says, you're missing the point, Israel. What matters to me is a faith a trust that leads to a letting go of the sin that clings so closely. A faith that leads to repentance. That's what gets my attention, says the Lord. And Rahab's got it. So look at my daughter Rahab and you'll see what, a real, what the real faith looks like. It seems to me that the Lord gets great joy out of teaching us what real faith is from people we might not expect. Can I tell you a story? So one time uh, I, w- I was speaking with a woman, woman, I'm gonna call her Jackie. And not, not her real name. And Jackie, Jackie had a Muslim background. And so I'm a pastor and you know pastors are good at as you can see. Pastors are, are good at yipping and yapping. And, and we, we're, we like to teach. So I was sitting there teaching Jackie. Oh, I like a lot of things, right? And at one point, I was, I was teaching her about how... And I, said, I think I said something like, you know, um, your good works are never going to get you to heaven. Something like that. Totally true, really important. And, you know. and all of a sudden, she says, wait. And it almost like I was offending her. And she goes, Jim, I know I, my good works aren't going to get me to heaven. <laughs> she goes, I know that deep down. She goes, you know, when I used to live as a Muslim... She goes, I knew I was going to hell. Every day I knew it. Because she said, I could just never live up to it. The standards were here, and I always came in here, and I always failed, and I never lived up. And they always told me how bad I was, and I always fell short until finally, I just gave up. I just gave up, and then I ran out, and I did the stuff you do when you give up. Do you know what I mean? And she gave up for a lot of years. And she goes, and then, just recently, I've been hearing about Jesus. And she says, you know, Jim, the funny thing is this. When I listen to Jesus, it's worse and better. It's worse because the standards are actually higher. But it's better because he's met the standard for me. And he does for me what I could never do for myself. And so she leans forward and she goes, I want, she didn't have these words, but she, she goes, I want to lay aside the sin that clings so closely because I've started to trust him and I'm starting to love him. Yes. And at that point, I, I sat there realizing the teacher had swapped. Yeah. And I, the Lord, did, let me go back to school to look at what real faith looks like. So we need God's family because they show us a faith that leads to repentance. But it's not just that. Let's keep going, okay? It's also that God's family teaches us, strengthens us in a hope that leads to endurance. Do you see the word endurance there? Say endurance. Endurance. Okay. Go back to Rahab. Because can you imagine how difficult, how scary it must have been risky for her to help the Israelites and to switch allegiance to the Lord of Israel? Can you imagine that? Because she lived inside Jericho, and Jericho was a strong place. Jericho had big old strong walls, and when you were behind those walls, it felt secure because you knew nobody was going to get you. But then when she placed her trust in the Lord of Israel, she had to stop trusting in Jericho's walls. She had to put her hope entirely in the Lord and not in the things that had previously made her feel good and secure. Do you know what I mean? Now, what is hope? The, the word hope doesn't happen in, in our passage, but it's all about hope. And you can see it in the idea of endurance. Here's one way to think about hope. Lots of ways to think about hope. Here's one. Hope, ready? Hope is faith that trusts God for the future. Or, hope is faith that trusts God to make sure your story ends well, even if from your perspective there's reason to think it might not end well. Hope is a faith that trusts God to keep his promises to see you through the long, hard race of this life and make sure you get safely home in the end. And hope is fuel for endurance. Endurance. And Rahab had hope. And what happened is, Rahab, as she trusted in God, uh, hope, trust in God's promise for the future, fortified her to run with endurance the race that the Lord had called her to, despite the dangers, despite the fear, despite the risk that she undoubtedly felt. Now, do you know where you can see hope in live action? You can see hope and holy endurance when you watch God's family walk through suffering, hand in hand with Jesus. Let me tell you a story about one guy that's taught me a little bit about this. So uh, this guy called is called Festo Cavendera, and Festo Cavendera is a was an Anglican. Anglicans are weird. I'm one, hence the funny costume, but Festus Kavindra was a bishop in Uganda, and he was one of the greatest evangelists that came out of Africa in the 20th century, but in the 1970s, he was living in Uganda under the tyrannical rule of a guy called Idi Amin. You ever heard of Idi Amin? He's a real bad guy. And Fesu Kavindra was a bold man and he preached against the injustice and the brutality of Idi Amin and his regime. And he called the whole regime to repentance. Uh, Do you think Idi Amin liked that? No, he didn't appreciate that too much. And so he took his revenge. And what Idi Amin did is he arrested Bishop Festo's best friend, one of his close friends, the Archbishop of all Uganda, a guy called Janani Luwum, a man who loved Jesus with all of his heart. And Idi Amin arranged the death of Janani Luwum. Bishop Festo found out that he was next on the list. And so he and his wife, in the middle of the night, escaped across Uganda and then climbed over a mountain to to hide in the country of Rwanda. And then later on, he made it to England. And he spent years in exile. But here's the funny thing about Bishop Festo. When you read his writings, he describes horrific suffering. But never a word of despair. Instead you hear a hope in God that leads to endurance. Let me read you from him. This is story time. Ready? Story time. This is from Bishop Festo. He said this. In the midst of suffering... This is the late 70s. In the, late, in the midst of suffering, God is being glorified. Many have died praying for their murderers, just like Janani Luwum did, with compassion for those who are trapped in the confusion of killing. They reached out for heaven and they saw the glory of the angels welcome and let others to see it too. Widows, orphans, and those who have lost everything are going on peacefully, witnessing the eternal values that are more than long life, more than comfort, more than possessions. Many who face danger daily have their roots so deep in God that their eyes shine and there's a peace in their home. They outlasted Idi Amin. And Festo Kevenger was part of rebuilding the nation. Now, here's what I want you to see, though. These people are facing death every single day. Like, and that's scary. And yet their hope is so robust that it fueled them to run their race with endurance. And I want to know, where do you get that kind of hope? Do you want to have that kind of hope? Let me ask you a question. How much hope do you feel right now? How are you doing on the endurance thing? Is it a wibbly wobbly? As a church, you have been running the race for about 200 years. But as individuals, the race, it gets hard sometimes, doesn't it? Do sometimes you feel tired? Sometimes you feel overwhelmed? Sometimes it feels like you're at the bottom of a really big mountain and it's just like, there's, there's no... It's not going to work. And maybe you've suffered terrible loss. And if that's true, I'm so sorry. Or maybe for you it's a little bit different. Maybe right now you're feeling the weight of sin... ...and of guilt, and it's just whispering in your ears... ...oh, just give up. And that's why I ask, because we all feel that sometimes, friends. Where do we get a faith that leads to repentance? And where do we get a hope that fuels endurance? See, because faith and hope as a family of Jesus... These, ...this is our birthright, this is family traits... But what do you do if you look in your heart and you're like, man, faith and hope, they're in short supply. Well, I've already said that God's family strengthens us in a hope that leads to repentance. And God's family strengthens us with a hope that leads to endurance. And they do that by showing us what those things look like in live action. But now I want to tell you that they've got another gift to give. And their last gift is their best gift. The best gift that the family of God gives us is when the cloud of witnesses point away from themselves to Jesus Christ. Look back at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Next slide, please. Looking to Jesus. Where are you supposed to look, everybody? The founder and the perfecter of our faith. Looking to Jesus is a way of describing love, a love attachment with Christ. See, Hebrews wants us, on the one hand, to look at the multi-ethnic family of God, this great cloud of witnesses. Hebrews wants us to look at them, but there comes a time when the cloud of witnesses, all those people, point away from themselves and point us to Jesus, and that's the big payoff, Look at verse 2, it says that Jesus is the founder and the perfecter. First, Jesus is the founder of our faith. What does that mean? It means he's the source of it all, not you. Let me say it this way. No one who has ever gone before you in the cloud of witnesses has ever produced faith by themselves. No one in the great cloud of witnesses has ever produced hope by themselves. No one in the great cloud of witnesses that has come before you has ever produced endurance by themselves. Real faith and real hope and real endurance and the power to run the race has to come as a gift from Jesus. Say gift. Gift. There we go. Jesus is the founder of all. He's the source, but he's also the perfecter. Jesus, and that means that Jesus sees us through to the end. It means Jesus never gives up on us. He hasn't given up on you. And if you think he has, that's the devil. Every faithful Christian who has finished the race before us has finished because they found themselves carried by Jesus in grace. And so the crucial question for you is this. Do you think Jesus is strong enough to carry you? And if you think, nah, he can carry the person next to me, but he can't carry me, you know, his shoulders, they're not so strong, not strong enough for me, then look at that verse. It was for the joy set before Jesus that he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The cross of Jesus Christ, the fact that he died and suffered on the cross for you, that is proof that Jesus can carry you to the end. It's proof. Do you remember in the beginning, I asked you to imagine running a race surrounded by millions of people, right? Who have run the race before you. And now I want you to imagine that again. And they're cheering you on. And I want you to imagine that as you listen to them, I know you can't, when when a a big crowd is cheering, you can't hear each individual message. But now imagine that they all begin, all their voices unite into one message. And you hear them saying something like this. They're screaming in joy and saying, we know all about the sin that weighs you down. And we know all about the guilt that condemns you. And we know all about it because it it condemned us too and it weighed us down too. But then they all say together, but Jesus fought our sin upon the cross and he defeated it forever. For us and for you. And then as as you look closely, you'll see Rahab up there. And Rahab speaks directly to you, and she says, even my sin was washed away by Jesus' blood, and Jesus made me into a hero of the faith, and if he can do that for me, he can do that for you. And then as you listen to her, and you look at Jesus, you find a faith beginning to grow within your heart. You find yourself wanting to trust in Jesus, and you find yourself wanting to lay aside sin. But then you keep on running. And as you keep on running, you look over here and you see maybe, maybe a, a bunch of Ugandan Christians from the 1970s. And you see many uh, of your forebears at Next Step Church through the ages. And they're all saying, hey, listen, we know the hardships that you face. We've suffered too. We've wept too tears of grief, and sometimes we wanted to give up, but that's when we looked at Jesus on the cross, and we realized that he had defeated death, and if he defeated death, then he can defeat everything that can destroy us forever, and that's when Jesus picked us up and carried us home. So you have nothing to fear, says the cloud of witnesses to you today. And then you look away from the cloud of witnesses, and you just look at Jesus, And he's in front of you as you're running. And he's on the cross. And you just look into his eyes. And you see him look into yours. And you see eyes aflame with love for you. And you realize that if Jesus died for you, then you've been loved with limitless love. You know that, right? You measure love by its willingness to suffer. If that's true, Jesus suffered limitlessly for you. And therefore, his love for you knows no bounds. And when you're loved with a limitless kind of love, it can't help but change you. It goes right into your heart and it begins to reproduce itself so that you look back at Jesus and you lock your eyes on Jesus and you're like, Jesus, I want to live for you because I love you. And that's when you get the fuel that fuels all of the race. That's where it comes from. It was for the joy set before Jesus that he endured the cross. It's for the joy of loving Jesus that you run your race. So next step, church. Do you see how it works? You right now get to run your race. And it's so important that you run your race, eyes fixed on Jesus. It's important because God wants to make you a Rahab for somebody else. He wants to give you as a gift to somebody else to encourage them. And he wants to give you as a church as a gift to the rest of us. My church needs you and we have learned so much from you. And we're so grateful for you. And we get to sit at your feet and learn what it looks like to run the race with endurance and with hope and with faith. And with our eyes set on Jesus, we need you to do that. Because it's crucial to us going forward as well. So, next step church, the next step. is fix your eyes on Jesus and receive his limitless love. Remind yourself of the cloud of witnesses around you so that they encourage a faith that leads to repentance, a hope that leads to endurance, and a love that fuels it all. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen.